Hello, you're listening to 1823 Podcast. I'm Stuart Arrowsmith. This week is Wellbeing Week at Liverpool John Moores University, so in this episode we're going to talk about different ways to be happy and healthy. I think that having experiences like that put in a very tricky subject like suicide and suicide bereavement in the public domain in that way um, was an incredible thing for the BBC to do, actually. And what it has done is it's created that platform so that people will still approach me um, and I welcome every single approach it feels like a privilege every time someone says to me you know I've never told anybody this but I will always always encourage other students just to talk to anyone whether it be even just a parent that they hadn't felt like they could talk to yet whether it be us a lecturer just anyone that you might not need sort of intervention help or medical help you might just need someone to be like no you're doing okay and that it's purest form what it enables you know participants on that course to do it begins to identify some signs or what to do in those situations how to signpost how to support somebody how to showcase or show them to the, the relevant individual so it's just very much around raising that awareness 1823 podcast as it's Wellbeing Week at LJMU, we're going to talk about striving for positive mental and physical health wherever we live, work or study. We'll hear in this episode about different approaches to staying healthy and happy. First, we're going to discuss the importance of looking out for other people. How do we help a friend, a family member or even a stranger that we're concerned about? I've come along to a conference at LJMU about preventing suicide and self-harm. I'm joined now by the host of the conference, Angela Samarta, an honorary fellow at Liverpool John Moores University. Amongst other things, Angela's also an ambassador for the national charity Survivors of the Bereaved by Suicide, co-author of the CSA Signpost Training and presenter of the BAFTA-nominated documentary Life After Suicide. Angela, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And thanks for your time. I know this has been a busy day for you and I know you're, you're always in demand to talk about these issues. So thanks for finding some time for us. Um, this conference brought together a wide range of experts mm. um, in prevention of suicide and self-harm. Mm. How productive do you think it's been and how important is this kind of event for, for sharing ideas about tackling these issues? It was an incredible event because I think often, you know, I go to lots of conferences and there's a lot of data, um, which is great and we need the data. We need that kind of academic, pure level of research however today was different because today there was a real mixture of academic research and knowledge but also there was a lot of people with lived experience in the room as well and there was a lot of sharing of best practice you know there were uh, the people with lived experience had been involved some of them in uh, developing services um, co-producing services designing the services that were meant to help people like them and it was incredible to be able to share that kind of knowledge and understanding with with academics. And it was it was wonderful to see the academics, you know, actually witnessing the the, the you know how their research had been um, had had made a difference to people. So it, it was just incredible, and uh, it was a, it was a really really good day. Great. And if you're comfortable to do so, I wonder mm. if you could, could just tell us a little bit about your story and and why this matters so much to you personally. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, what happened to me was, um, and I, I described this in the in the BBC One film, is that in 2003, for me and my family, it was the the best of times and the very worst of times. I I got the job that I wanted in in the arts, and uh, but unfortunately, within three weeks of of that job, uh, my my partner and the father of my two children, who were three and thirteen at the time, had very unexpectedly uh, taken his life. And it opened up a whole other world for me that I never knew existed. I certainly didn't know that suicide is and remains the biggest killer of men under 50. Um, I certainly didn't know that somebody who may have been in the middle of a suicidal crisis could function and go to work and carry on to the point where I, I didn't know how, how Mark felt. So when I I actually spoke to him 15 minutes before I, I found him and it changed everything. Um, it opened up a whole, yeah, a whole arena of experiences that I, I never knew existed. And, and so for the past 15 years, it's meant that I've continued to work in the arts and, and used to win the John Moore's Painting Prize uh, at the Walker Art Gallery. But simultaneously, for the past 15 years, I've also worked in suicide prevention and suicide bereavement. And often now my work uh, goes across both spectrums. So I end up working on arts projects that are specifically designed to help people who who may have felt suicidal or may be feeling suicidal. Mm -hmm. And you've used your experience as well to create the CSA signpost Mm. training. And that helps people to spot the sign of someone struggling with suicidal thoughts. Mm how to speak to them and how to help signpost them to, to more help. Um, while I was completing that training online, I was quite struck by that feeling from yourself and, and other people on there as well of, you know, if I'd known then what I know now, dot, dot, dot. Mm. Absolutely. I think, you know, sometimes I sit there and, I, you know, I'm in conferences or, or like today and I just think, gosh, you know, I wish I knew then what I knew now. The conversation that I had with Mark would have been very different. Uh, I would have been asking different questions. And I think when we wrote the CSA signpost training, it was with that in mind. It was it was my lived experience together with the clinical knowledge of, of Jane Boland, who was the suicide prevention lead for Mersey Care. And it really was bringing all of her clinical experience and her lived experience together, but also my lived experience. And it culminated in something that we're both extremely proud of. For us, it had to be about... um, giving people the confidence to ask the question, you know, are you feeling suicidal? Safe in the knowledge that asking someone the question using the word is not going to make someone end their life. It's actually more... Uh, it, it's more likely that you're going to save somebody's life because you're having a straight conversation and you know exactly what you're both talking about. You're not mm. using euphemisms. So that training for me is very, very special. For for both of us, it was important that we knew that taxi drivers, hairdressers, lecturers, we knew that they were the people that were having those conversations, but they were the very people who didn't necessarily have the clinical skills or knowledge to be having that conversation. So we wanted to put something to together that was accessible to everybody that would really empower people to ask the question but much much more importantly know what to do if the answer was yes so we call it see say signpost because it's see the opportunity to have the conversation say the word ask somebody straight if they're feeling suicidal and know exactly what to do and how to effectively signpost if the answer is yes 
that was the biggest lesson I took from the training, actually, that idea of being so direct with somebody. Because I think beforehand, I would have been reluctant or maybe even scared to be as blunt as saying, are you feeling suicidal? But but the trainer says, no, that, that is what you need to ask mm. people. And it's what the research tells us. You know, if you have one moment where you can intervene, one moment where you see somebody and you think, oh, actually, I'm not sure that person's okay. If you have one chance what are you going to do? Are you going to use that chance to have a conversation and ask somebody if they're having dark thoughts? Well, your version of dark thoughts and my version of dark thoughts can be very different. If you ask somebody if they're feeling suicidal, we both know exactly what we're talking about. And I think for us, we we had 20 minutes to um, train people and give them the space to really think about this and uh, Again, it was really important to us that we had those golden threads running right the way through that training. And we had the evidence base to make sure that everything that we put into that training, literally every word, is has a, has a knowledge base and has an evidence base. So it was really important that it was robust as well when it came to, you know, thinking about it academically as well. Yeah, let's just tell people you can access this training uh, at zerosuicidealliance.com and as you say it only takes around 20 Mm. minutes to complete Um, and you can do it on a phone as well mm. and that again it was really important for us we know that people access you know what what is it 96 percent of information on their phones Mm. so for us again it was just thinking about the practical um application of it and and so we made sure that it was it was compatible with mobile phones as well so you can do it on a computer or you can do it on a on a mobile phone and you just need some headphones because there's some audio as well Yes. What are some of the other big lessons that you would hope people would take away from those sessions? From the training sessions? Mm. I mean, I think it's to feel empowered. You know, lots of us are very, very afraid to have straight conversations. Um, Lots of us feel as if we are going to make the person worse. And actually, you're not. And I think in a very calm way, we are trying to give people the confidence that they need and also to think about, okay, if I'm going to have that conversation, maybe I need to get my um, little kit of um, information ready. So have the phone number ready. You know, the student support here at at Liverpool John Moores University have, you know, a range of things available for both students and staff. So again, it's just to do a little bit of homework first, um, make sure you've got that information available and then you're ready to have the conversation. We, we know now in Liverpool, because uh, people have done the training, there's taxi drivers that have a little pack of information in their cabs, for instance, um, to make sure that if somebody gets into their cab that they're worried about, they can give them the phone number straight away, they can signpost them and they can feel empowered to do that. Mm. And I think when I completed the training, mm. the, the numbers who'd accessed it were into something like 130,000. So this this yeah. is becoming a big thing now yeah, and it seems to be really, working. Absolutely. And people are really accessing it. And I think for me, it was about that democratisation of knowledge. You know, it's exactly what happened in the conference today, in the in the Share Now conference. It was that democratisation. It's, it's not about somebody having to go to med school for seven years in order to be able to have this conversation. It's about how can we unlock that amazing clinical and, and research experience and knowledge and give it to the general public. You know, we can't keep saying that suicide and self-harm is everybody's problem. It's also everyone's opportunity to make a difference. And so for me, it was about how can we turn that on its head? How can I use my lived experience in a way that's going to benefit others? Mm. Over these 15 years, have you noticed a difference in people's willingness to talk about suicide? Is, is the taboo being broken over that time, do you think? 
I think it's a bit strong to say it's been broken. I would like it to be broken. <laughs> you know, I would like it to be addressed. I think that there are still people who feel suicidal and definitely people bereaved by suicide who feel, still feel that stigma and still feel that it's a taboo. I, I think we've made huge strides forward. Um, the fact that the UK now has, you know, Jackie Doyle Price, the first uh, suicide prevention minister globally is is such an amazing thing we've moved forward so much and and again it's conferences like today that are enabling that move forward you know bringing lived experience and research together is a way to bring it forward we've still got a way to go um you know yes uh, the, the the world's first suicide prevention minister was appointed however um her, her responsibility for suicide prevention was added to a, a huge range of things mm. that she's responsible for, including uh, mental health inside prisons. So I think that I would like it if she solely had to look at suicide prevention, but I think that we've got a, a little way to, to, to go there. Yeah. Do people find it easy to talk to you and your children about your experience, or do you find that people still find it a very difficult thing to bring up and ask you how you're feeling? Um, it was funny because when we made uh, Life After Suicide, the the film that we made that was on BBC One, I mean, that's been shown on BBC One now about three, four, maybe five times now. I think what that did was it, the team that I worked with were amazing. And I think what that film did was it created a platform for discussion. And I was very proud of that, very proud of the fact it was nominated to BAFTA. And I think once you're nominated to BAFTA, people find it really much easier to have a conversation with you about it because they want to know what it was like to go to BAFTA and what it was like to, you know, go 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 through all of all the ceremony. Um, Louis Theroux was actually in our category, so there was uh, we were nominated. Louis Theroux was nominated, and uh, a guy called Adam Curtis, who is one of my fantasy dinner party guests, was nominated, and I, I got to sit next to him. Extraordinary filmmaker. Uh, he made a film called Bitter Lake, and uh, I got to sit next to him at dinner. And Louis Theroux saying that uh, you should have won is kind of makes you feel like you've won. Mm. So, <laughs> again, when you can have experiences like that, by the way, Louis didn't win, but I didn't win either. So that, that's OK. Um, but I think that having experiences like that put in a very tricky subject like suicide and suicide bereavement in the public domain in that way um, was an incredible thing for the BBC to do, actually. And what it has done is it's created that platform so that people will still approach me um, and I welcome every single approach. It feels like a privilege every time someone says to me, you know, I've never told anybody this, but mm. um, if I ever write a book, that will be the title of it because I've had some remarkable conversations because of the film, because we we, we put the, the worst time in our life on, on the BBC. Mm. It's Wellbeing Week at LJMU and we're sharing different ideas and tips for our, our mental and physical health. What do you find works for you? Well, it used to be my dreaded question at conference whenever anybody <laughs> would say, so how do you take care of yourself? I would always deflect it and, and, and say, well, so how do you take care of yourself? <laughs> you know? um, and actually, my answers were terrible. You know, it was kind of, yeah, I go for a walk and I do this. But actually, I didn't I didn't actually do as much as I needed to. And it was just before Christmas this year that I thought, actually, I was working right up until the day before Christmas Eve. And I thought something needs to give, you know, and it was really interesting work but I knew that I was tired and I felt tired and so actually it was my brother-in-law who gave me a book 
uh, all about how to make sourdough and uh, gave me a sourdough starter, which I didn't really know what one was. He just gave me a, a jar of what looked like paste and a book. And he said, I know you're not going to do anything with this, but I think you should give it a go. And um, so that was the 4th of January. And because he said, you're not going to do anything with this, of course, I took that as a challenge. And I made my first loaf of sourdough and I kind of haven't looked back. Uh, I think I'm on to loaf 19 now. And uh, before that, I didn't know what all the symbols on the cooker were for. The first (laughs) loaf I cooked, I grilled because I didn't realize the squiggly lines on the top with a grill. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed, by the way, that you've not brought one to the interview <laughs> for me to try. If only I'd have known. If only I'd have known. But um, I will next time. But um, again, there's something amazingly therapeutic about the rhythmic movement of actually kneading bread. There's something that feeds your soul knowing that there's just flour, water and salt and you've mixed them together and some magic has happened and a loaf has come out of the oven that you can share with friends and family and and Instagram followers and Twitter <laughs> followers, you know. So um, my starter, as it's called, that's the thing that you, you start with that, that creates the holes in sourdough, actually. Uh, Stephen the Starter's got his own hashtag on okay. Twitter now. Um, but again, for me, it was about when you've got flour on your hands, you can't answer the phone and right. you can't send an email. And actually, you have to think about timing and you have to, you become absorbed in that process. And, and it's incredibly therapeutic. I, I think there's something about it it fills my batteries, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel as if when I go on stage the next time, I kind of feel as if I can really give it everything because I'm I'm, I'm not tired. I, I feel like I really needed to do something for my own self-care and I just happened to have found something that, uh, yeah, my family are enjoying too. I'm really hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we'll bring the conversation to an end. Angela, thanks very much for chatting no, to us today. thank you for having me. It's been great. Um, and, and good luck with the ongoing work. And uh, mm. we'd encourage people to, to access the CSA signpost training. You can hear more stories like Angela's. Uh, take the training as well and find out lots of other information at zerosuicidealliance.com. That's Angela Smarter, an honorary fellow here at LJMU. This is 1823 Podcast. My next guest is Rosie Steele. Rosie is a master's student and the president of LJMU Student Minds, a group which promotes positive mental health and well-being among students. I caught up with her to find out more. We run through the national charity Student Minds who want to empower both students and staff and the whole university community to look after their well-being, um, which will help us all to thrive as a community. We run as a campaigns group, so the issues that students face and we hope to highlight those and then create campaigns around them. So uh, during Freshers Week last year we did a campaign that we called Welcome Wellbeing. So it was sort of offering an alternative to Freshers Week for students who might have been struggling or didn't want to go all in to maybe going out or just showing students that it was okay to kind of not be having the time of your life in those first sort of few weeks. So yeah, we aren't peer support as such, but we do offer that through, we meet once a month and students can come and talk to us and we encourage them to share stories and we have like a little activity and cups of tea and it's just a nice supportive space and safe space. This is very much a priority now, isn't it? This is something that is embraced and promoted. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, um, so I've been at LGMU for four years because I'm doing my MA now. And when I first started, I kind of 
felt like I didn't know where to look. Whereas now, I feel like the university really prioritises, especially for like in the first few weeks, like where you can go for help. It's really obvious on the website now. And um, Wellbeing Week is just massive, isn't it now? So it's really positive. One of the themes around this year is that it's good to talk, basically. Yeah. And, and that is a key kind of stage for people, isn't it? No yeah, matter how they're struggling, that to, to get over that step and be able to tell somebody else how they're feeling. How important is it to encourage people to do that? So, so important. I really, really struggled in my second year. Like, I just was not coping at all. And I felt like I couldn't talk about it because it was kind of a mixture of things like living in a house as opposed to halls and I felt like I'd lost the support around me through like living in kind of like a gated community as such and then the workload just is really different from first year and I just completely crumbled but I felt like I had the kind of opinion oh I've chosen to be here therefore I can't feel like this I just kept all in and I just broke down on one of my lecturers and then they were like no you need to do something about this and they kind of gave me that little push to actually know you can talk about it so then I started kind of started the society and started talking a lot more both on like social media and things and then when you start that more people come to you and start talking more and now I will always always encourage other students just to talk to anyone whether it be even just a parent that they hadn't felt like they could talk to yet whether it be us a lecturer just anyone that you might not need sort of intervention help or medical help you might just need someone to be like no you're doing okay you can keep going there's still a lot of maybe deep-rooted things going on like particularly around maybe things like alcohol and going out and like the whole best three years of your life thing so that can kind of cause you problems because you think well everyone else is having fun so then that puts a kind of block on you and you definitely do meet stigma but it's not as bad maybe as a few years ago and like people really encourage you talking out but then maybe the issues come when you start talking when like things like therapy and medication that's what people kind of still are a bit wary of like if you were to say to someone oh I went to therapy last week like I'd really encourage you talking about that but other people would be like okay that's nice Mm. like why are you telling me this so there's still a bit of a way to go but it's a lot lot better yeah it's interesting that you say it kind of hit you more in the second year because I think a lot of people would would kind of think of it as being the freshers thing moving away from home that whole transition and actually that probably reflects my own experience as well at university it was very much the second and third year that suddenly the pressure is on it's a lot more difficult to cope um what are you finding are some of the triggers that that are prompting people to to run into difficulties so I think like you said with the first year moving out like for a lot of people can be the first time they've been away from home for an extended period of time making new friends new relationships that can be really hard or even leaving old relationships at home um then learning independently I found that a real struggle like I went to a sixth form not a college I kind of been spoon-fed my whole academic mm. life then I came here and they're like go f- go forth and do your own research and you're like what so that can be really really hard and then I just think caring for yourself can be a lot harder than people anticipate like it sounds silly but having to remember to cook for yourself every evening there's not food put on the table in front of you and like I've had a very lucky upbringing like big family around me so those things were always kind of just handed to me not in like a sense I didn't know how to do things for myself but I was just kind of felt so lost with 
just having to start caring for myself like just completely on my own and how did you cope with that how did you overcome those issues did you have techniques that you turn to 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 boost your own well-being yeah I think like I said when I started talking to people that really helped because I didn't feel so isolated but then I just kind of started setting myself proper routines so like I'm a big diary user like setting myself out timetables you know and uh, during my second year I felt quite like lonely so one of the things I'd do was every um, Tuesday I'd set myself like a fun thing to do so like I'd quite often go to the cinema or get the bus somewhere different and just try and have something in my timetable that was fun to do and like took me away from the studying for a bit because I got quite like obsessed with the library like I know you're encouraged to go but I took it to a whole new level of like 12 hours in Mm -hmm. there so like having something away from studying and I think is a really positive thing and definitely should be encouraged yeah and having gone through that experience yourself that must help in your role with student minds and and help the students who are approaching you as well to know that you can empathize and that you've been through it and it's okay (laughs) yeah no definitely like empathize but also kind of so I think student minds really encourages active listening so for me not to put my experience onto them just listen and then be like well have you thought about doing this or can I suggest this and then maybe I can put some of my own experience into that if they come to you with you know they've got anxiety they're feeling lonely what kind of options do you present to them uh, we always suggest student advice and wellbeing first, so they have the drop-ins and then you can also email to get like a initial appointment if you need something a bit more serious because they have the, um, the mental health team through them. So you can have counselling or if you need like intervention, you can they'll direct you on to which side of it you need. Student engagement, who are based in each building, who are great. Um, so you can go and see them and then if they need to direct you on so we always suggest student engagement as well then student opportunities if people are saying like oh I'm a bit bored or I'm a bit lonely or I haven't met anyone yet student opportunities through the city socials they do can be great it's something I used as well just to meet a few new people and get out of the house and get out of routine because all of, everything they do is free so that can be a really great way if people aren't maybe struggling to a large extent but just need a bit of a bit of company really because we only meet once a month so that can be another good way and then something I always suggest is lecturers office hours like if people are coming to us with academic problems that's something I cannot sort out so um uh really push for people to make use of office hours and if they're not clearly sort of advertised to ask when they are and they can go and talk through more academic problems which can just take such a weight off your shoulders if you're struggling with an assignment because it can just build and build Mm. there was a report a few days ago which um, looked at the supposedly the biggest student mental health survey that's been undertaken in the UK 38,000 students and there were some concerning numbers in there in terms of the number of people who feel anxious and lonely who turn to alcohol and drugs in order to cope were you surprised by the numbers or would that be what you were expecting to find not surprised at all like the more I've spoken about it the more people tell you and they'll come to uni and experience with no issues they won't have experienced any anxiety or anything and then they come to university and just things change i think 
the clinical levels of distress in that study, which are quite high, I'm not sure about the exact number, that shocked me though, like, I think everyone feels a bit anxious, and obviously there's a difference between having anxiety and feeling anxious, but I feel like everyone feels like that sometimes, but then the people who are ending up like clinically distressed, that, that did shock me. Mm. The society must welcome initiatives like Wellbeing Week then and the yeah. opportunity to really make this a high-profile opportunity yeah. to get the message out to people. Yeah, no, definitely. Even if it just shows people what's already going on at the university, I feel like that can be kind of the first step for people. Like, they'll be like, oh, I want this to happen. And you're like, well, actually, it's already there. A lot of people... So they just need to be shouted louder and well-being week is a great way to really like use our voices and shout loudly about what's already going on and what's really great. Okay, great. Thanks, Rosie. That's Rosie Steele, the president of LJMU Student Minds. You're listening to 1823 Podcast. Now, if you visit the NHS website, you'll find a section on a so-called miracle cure. It's one that reduces our risk of major illnesses and boosts our well-being, helping us to lead happier, healthier lives. Exercise. It's been shown to boost self-esteem, mood, sleep quality and energy and cut the risk of stress and various illnesses. LJMU supports a wide range of activities, encouraging people to get active and to tell us a little bit more about them is Reward Recognition and Engagement Manager Andy Keegan. Hi Andy. Hi Stuart. Thanks for coming on and, and chatting to us today. I know you do more than just the physical side and we'll touch on some of those in a moment, but let's begin with the kind of physical activities that you encourage staff here to do. Why is that important to LJMU? I think in in terms of LJMU being a responsible employer, um, staff are our greatest asset. And I think Richard Branson puts this really, really, you know, really great in a in a quote. He talks about if you look after your staff, they look after your business. Um, and I think in general, as a society, we become a more engaging with not just physical activity but well-being itself. Um, and that's through technology advancements such as Fitbits and you know can track your nutritional intake. So I think as a, as a society we become more and more open to this this sort of health and well-being notion. There's no doubt that you know there's there's lots of research out there. A happy and healthy workforce will increase productivity. Mm. Yeah, and one of our particular aspects of the the health and well-being strategy is centered around these three particular pillars which is educate, enable, and you'll see the results. So everything that we try and do is very much under those those first two two, two pillars, to the education and the enable. Um, and I know we'll talk about some of those enablers a little bit later on. Yeah, well, well let's get an idea of some of the activities that you've, mm-hmm. you've encouraged to take place. Mm-hmm. So in terms of physical activity, we, we've, you know, in, in the past, we, we've, we've partnered with Rock and Roll Marathon, and that enabled up to 300 members of staff, family, and students to participate in it. And that was a fantastic event. And what we've seen is, is in the build-up to that, people who would not generally take part in, uh, in say, a 5K, encourage them to get out there and get involved. And part and parcel of doing that was to introduce run leaders. So we trained up a number of run leaders and, and set, them, set them out to get people, you know, from that very much from the couch to 5K. We also f- fund local places in, in, in local races, such as the, the, the Scouse 5K um, and the English Half Marathon where we come. 
But I think one of our main physical activity drives is all being centered around the, the, the global corporate step challenge mm. that we, we run. And we you know, last year we had 574 members of staff take part in that event. Um, and some fantastic stories come out of that. The event in itself is all based around a team of seven trying to beat or, or get an average of 10,000 steps a day. Mm. Throw in a little bit of competition, a little bit of banter. Um, you've got a good recipe for um, enabling uh, and, and encouraging members of staff to participate in physical activity going forward. Well, that's a good one, isn't it? Because it, it doesn't feel like you're doing exercise, actually. It's just part of your day-to-day activity, but you're, you're building it up. Yeah, I, of course. And, and you know, and, and some of the, with a diverse workforce, some of our roles are active on the feet throughout the day. But for a lot of the, the roles in the universe, very sedentary. You know, you're at your desk, and it was encouraging them to get out and make use of lunchtime, get out and get a, 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 and and see the city. So we we had a a statue challenge, which was a number of statues across the the city. We we put that out there, um, and whoever managed to get a selfie with the the, the statues got the, the the winning prize. We also had a bit building bingo challenge encouraging members of staff to go and take a selfie at each one of our of our buildings so and the teams themselves they'd even set up you know things after work so they go for walks after work people to change the the travel plans in terms of they get off the bus stop one stop earlier or one stop after and then mm-hmm. and then walk so it's just and because and it's set over 100 days it enables that change and sort of practice that change in lifestyle to come forward and i guess what you're doing there is capturing people who perhaps didn't necessarily have an active lifestyle before because the people who like running and like other exercises are probably doing that yeah. anyway this is yeah. capturing other people isn't uh, it? of course of course and i think within those teams trying to have a healthy balance between those two different levels i think is key to to, to encouraging very much the team captains will do that um, and encourage people who don't necessarily do any kind of activity but then being able to put things in place during that whole challenge during those whole that 100 days that will can encourage enable that and support it and that's where we bring in you know the the, the running events and and the um, and the yoga sessions and what have people gone on to do after getting involved in those activities? Have you got people who are now out there, you know, every night, every week doing activity they didn't yeah, do before? Lots of feedback have come through and it'll range from people who, who just wanted to try. So try an event, get involved in a team and then, you know, see where that led to. But we've had feedback from from taking part in that particular um, in, in that particular event. We've had feedback from you know, member staff going on to do an Ironman. They never thought that they'd ever do that type of thing because they've increased their physical activity. Yeah, okay, I want to push myself now. I want to see where I can go, see where this can go. Some people have done it for health reasons and they've seen a a significant um, reduction in weight. So they've lost a lot of weight through it. Some people do it for the social element, just the camaraderie, just the banter, just and just to be able to beat the other team over there. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, we've got people who've who've dipped the toe in physical activity, and I'd say a 5K, who've then gone on to do a half marathon, people who've done a half marathon, who've then gone on to do a, a full marathon. So we're seeing this sort of educational aspect of it you know these are the benefits that you can you can you can get from physical activity but the enabling aspect giving them the options where possible to support that going forward 
And it's great as well, isn't it, to support events that are taking place within the city as well and, yeah, and be part yeah. of that. Oh, oh, definitely, definitely. And I think one of the, the, the key events within the city that we, we try and get involved in is, um, is the Scouts 5K. Um, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Scouts 5K, but it's it's however many, 100,000, mm. all running with Scouts wigs on. Mm. So it's a fantastic event. And, I, and as I said, where we, where we can support and where we've got the ability to do so, we will do that for family and, and, and students as well. Um, and I know within the rock and roll, we had a, a number of uh, members of staff take part with the children, which was a fantastic, because we could provide that. It was a fantastic opportunity to do that. Yeah, great. You mentioned at the start, it's not just physical activity. So let's just touch on some of the other things like the mental health first aid training. Yeah, mental health first aid training um, is something that's a, a provision within the university at the moment. Um, and we're looking to we're looking to develop that a little bit more holistically. In in terms of the actual benefits of mental health first aid training, in itself, it breaks down a stigma around mental health and enables that discussion, at least from a, from an organisational point of view. And the core aspect of it, there's there's various levels to it. There's a two day training course, but there's a light course, and at its purest form, what it enables you know, participants on that course to do, it begins to identify some signs or what to do in those situations, how to signpost, how to support somebody, how to showcase or show them to the, the relevant individual. So it's just very much around raising that awareness, um, certainly within the, in that light session. And I think across the university, we'd like to encourage that, that certainly that light session, that open discussion, I think that's what we'd like to encourage as a blanket across all members of staff for them to participate in this sort of knowledge session. Mm. And obviously another initiative for this year around Wellbeing Week is for people to talk more about their own experiences. Mm. Are you finding as the years go by, are people more and more prepared to do that and feel more and more comfortable in doing that? I think I think so, yeah. I think, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, as a society, we're generally moving towards that particular that particular view um i think it's from an organizational point of view it's culture and if we enable that culture we enable that open and honest discussion we break down any stigmas around mental health any stigmas around any kind of other well-being if we provide that culture and and, and we're, we're, we're sort of certainly showing a support for that i think that'll only continue to grow mm. and having key people who, who are talking about real experiences yeah and in this episode, we've been asking each of our guests just about their own kind of experiences and little tips that you might have for well-being. What are the kind of things that you like to do when you've when you finish for the day or before the day starts, even? So building it in with the fact that I've got four children as well, so <laughs> it, it, it's 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 always centered around that. But I, I was always you know avid footballer, so I played football for a lot of my life until I was injured and and I, I snapped my Achilles and. My legs still never really got back to the, the, the mm. same level as it was. It's more or less a chicken leg at the moment. Um, in terms of, of, of what I do, I, I through through participation in, in the various running events that we have and through you know internal support, I got into running and I never thought I'd ever be able to, to run a half marathon. It was just something that I didn't think. I, I can't make that, especially with the leg that I've got. There's no chance that I'll do that. Um, but to date, I've run three, 
and it was it was it was a remarkable achievement for me for myself just to get across that line and the feeling that I got from that and I wouldn't have been able to do that without the support of colleagues mm. encouraging get out of a, of a lunchtime get, come for this run after work and see if we can build up that training so where we can harness that going forward and where we can encourage that at, at local levels within our faculties and in our departments I'll 100% try to support that where we can mm. and beyond the physical benefits of that as bros what about the kind of mental side of things as well do, do you enjoy the running does it make you feel good while yeah, you're doing I, it yeah I think it gives you it gives you headspace I think it gives you we, we all have busy lives where you know I think that time to yourself just to relax and, th- and think you know and, and I'd probably say you get that from having a brisk walk as well just a half an hour walk to yourself um, and not having to worry about picking up or dropping off kids. <laughs> it's just having that time to yourself. I think running enables you to reflect and clear your mind. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, at the beginning, all of the other benefits that come along with that, you'll see, you know, you'll lose a bit of, a bit of weight. Your mood, your sleep changes. The more active you are, you, think you generally will see a, a change in some of those particular areas. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for chatting to us today. That's uh, Andy Keegan. Eighteen twenty-three podcast. Well, that brings us to the end of episode six. We hope you've enjoyed it and found it helpful. We'll put some useful links in the show notes for this episode, places that you can go to for help, advice and support. If you or anyone that you know are going through a tough time right now, just remember that you don't have to go it alone. Thanks to Rosie, Angela and Andy for sharing their stories and their experiences. This episode was produced by Michael Humphreys and edited by Ben Jones. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review it to help us to spread the word and look out for our next episode coming soon.